Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we're again taking our second lap around those treasures that have been entrusted to us by God for stewardship, our time, our work, and our money. This morning, we're going to examine the anatomy of work to discover that it's far more than just our careers or the company kept time. It's really the whole stewardship of all of the energy and abilities that God has given to us. Thanks for joining us today as we see how God has positioned His church to serve Him with thankfulness through Jesus as we are a blessing to others. I was reading this past week through um, a translation that I'm not particularly uh, familiar with, and there was uh, one passage that caught me off guard. Uh, the text said, I've seen Jesus, so now I can die happy. And I thought, I don't think I've ever read that before. Where, where is that coming from in the Bible? Well, it was, a, it was a bit of a paraphrased translation out of the story of Jesus being presented at the temple with Simeon. Do you remember the old dude, Simeon? He's been waiting around forever to see the Lord's anointed one, to see the Messiah. And uh, I think the, the, uh, the original probably better renders it, uh, Lord, now that I have seen your Messiah, allow me to depart in peace. Uh, I can die happy is another way of saying that, maybe. Um, I, thought that, uh, I thought that strange, and it would have only been a passing notice in my week had it not been for some time that I spent at the um, homeschool partnership this week teaching them uh, how to look forward and plan towards goals in their lives. And we did a little exercise uh, whereby we looked at a variety of different metrics in our lives, everything from how much money you earn to the job that you want to have to the characterization of wisdom in your life and your own health and spiritual health. Um, good mental health, and each one of the students graded themselves as to where they thought they were at at that moment. And we were going to contrast that with where they want to be. And so out of a scale of 10, you'd give yourself a ranking. Well, as the students were going through that uh, exercise, I was doing it as well. And, you know, I'd, I'd look down and I'd think, well, I'm about as mentally healthy as I would like to be. That's pretty high. And um, like I I love my job. That's pretty high. And financially, God's taking care of everything. That's pretty high. And I found as I'm going down the list, everything was pretty high uh, except my health. Uh, I was going up the stairs the other day and never happened to you. Whoo, who added more steps Whoo, to these stairs, right? So I thought I got to grade myself a little bit lower there on health. Um, and then afterwards, uh, we all looked at the results. And what it turned out was most of the students had these really skewed up and down on their grades. Uh, well, one of the things they almost all scored high on was their friends. So friend relationships, teenagers are doing fine on. Uh, but finances or love or job or spiritual health and mental health, pretty, pretty low. And then I looked at mine and, um, oh my, we're high, except health. And so I thought, I might die happy if, <laughs> right if I don't get the health meter up a little bit uh, which doesn't seem like such a bad thing it occurred to me though as I uh, looked at their answers contrasted with you know a decade uh, two two and a half decades beyond where they're at that my answers today weren't always my answers when, when I was a teenager If I were to scope out what I wanted to do for a living, it wasn't this. 
If I, if I knew how much money I wanted to have in the bank, it had a lot more zeros behind it than it does today. Right? When, is that you as well? Think back to what you were like when you were dumb. <laughs> when you were a teenager is what I meant to say, right? All of the values that you had back then, hopefully, hopefully much like me, they have been shaped. They, they, they started out either nuanced through this is what the culture tells you is best. This is what success looks like. This is what you should aim at. Or maybe it was a messed up upbringing that kind of threw things cattywampus, right? Or maybe it was some experiences in, in your life. But hopefully, hopefully you like me have been grown and therefore transformed in our ability to look at what really matters. To look at our lives. And to say, what is the scope and the merit of God's expectation over the life of a man and a woman of God? So here we are. We're, we're trucking through this series on stewardship, looking at these uh, three primary subjects of our time, our work, and our money. Uh, for, those of, for those of you here who are, are new to this, this is our second lap. It's our second go-around on those subjects and as we are taking the second lap through it, I am, I'm wanting the church, I'm wanting you to make sure that you catch a biblical worldview of each of these subjects. So I'm calling it the, the anatomy of, and for today it's work. When, when we look through the scriptures, what does work look like as defined not by culture, not by whatever your upbringing was? What does work look like defined by the scriptures? And so that's... That's what we're going to work through today. Um, we're going to be in just one single verse <clears throat> that has a whole lot of uh, credibility and, and importance for our um, spiritual application in our lives. Uh, but just before we dive into that, I want to begin with some preliminaries that are uh, situated very similar to what we looked at last week in terms of this anatomy. And to give you a heads up for the message, that as we work through our observations, we're going to have to turn to some other passages. So just be prepared for a little bit of Bible study this morning. Uh, if you're good with that, give me an amen. amen. All right. All right. So when we look at stewarding our work, the proposition of that action as defined by Scripture, is blessing. That's what it means to work the way God designed work. Now, this is completely, completely different from how our world handles work. When you look at the most successful people with the largest numbers in their bank account, you'll find that they are experts of not working for others, but working for themselves. In fact, that maybe has been something that you've encountered, even in your own profession, whether that's in the secular realm or even entrepreneurially, that you'll find you need to make sure that you are achieving that which is best for who? This is, this is the design of the world when it comes to work. The danger here is that working for self-advancement, working for self achievement is is a dead end because its goal ends where right here and what's going to happen to you someday right yeah at, at the end of it all if you use work oriented towards yourself ultimately it's a dead end i think of it like um 
for those who know how audio works with speakers, if you put the microphone too close to the output of the speaker, do you know what happens? You ever hear that squeak, that real screechy sound? That's called feedback. And it's because everything that's being worked out of the speaker just goes right back in. And how's it sound? Sounds terrible. That, that's what work looks like when it's only directed at serving ourselves. Additionally, um, we need to expand this idea of blessing for work to know that work looks different for different people at different stages. I'll never forget this. I got this from my mom. She worked as an occupational therapist for the um, ISD. And uh, one of her jobs was to make sure that whatever a particular student was struggling with, uh, they were able to both tactily and cognitively interact with in a way that she could find out how to advance them. And so what that meant is she had to buy lots of toys. And so what that meant for me is I got to play with a lot of toys. It was a lot of fun. And I can remember she test them out on me and then take them and and use them from there. But she made a comment one time. She said that the work of a child is play. You ever think about that? that, that's, That's their work. That's what they do. And so work here looks different in different stages of life. And I think it's easy for us to grasp that when you see a child correctly at play, you know, of the of the kind that's wholesome, that we all would find resonant in our souls, watching children play. Do you know what that does to you? Anybody with me here? Is that not a blessing to our heart, to our soul? And that's their work? So, number one, the, the proposition for stewarding the concept of work in our lives means we are designed to be a blessing. That must be the orientation of our work. And so what does that lead to? If you, if you spend your time uh, six days a week hard at work, it should lead to, biblically speaking, rest. The complement of work is rest. And I think for many people, they thought that that's the opposite of work, right? It isn't, isn't when you rest, aren't you no longer working? Doesn't that seem to be on the opposite end of the spectrum? Either you're busy and working like, Martha, or you are not working like Mary. Some of you know that story, right? And so here, here we see often these pitted by our culture as opposites of one another. If you're familiar with that story with Mary and Martha, you remember that Jesus helps correct Martha's perspective. In fact, that Mary here is not abandoning work. She's actually experiencing the goal of work, which is what? It's, it's to rest. Rest. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we needed to be told to rest, humans? Isn't that funny? Did you know that rest was not part of the curse? That God designed for us to model what our work should look like in being a blessing? That he himself created all of these things left for us to now get in and get busy with. And then God himself did what on day seven? Help me out. He He rested. As a model for us that we too would learn how to rest. And so one of the things that rest does is it defines the maturing of the blessing, of the work. Such that when work is fully grown, what's left? Rest. Uh, you, You might hopefully see some similarities as we looked at 
time from last week. Do you remember that the proposition for time was to redeem it, to take what you have and to use it in a godly fashion? I want you to notice, same with work. To take your abilities and to use them in a godly fashion, you're redeeming them by becoming a blessing. Additionally, the goal of time in being redeemed was maturity, to grow us up. Here you'll see the same thing, that the maturity of our work, when it's full grown, leads to rest. And rest is also a, it's a boundary that God gave us because it provides freedom from enslavement to work. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you you know what it feels like to like have to go back again and go back to work again. Maybe that's external. Maybe that's something that's pressured from without or maybe it's internal. Anybody like that today? Anybody feel that? Like, i got to get more done. And what, what does God teach us? Seven days in a week, right? You need to rest. And God's designed and modeled it for us. And in doing so, this concept of Sabbath, if you do it right, what it's designed to do is help you to enjoy your work. To enjoy God's good creation. So the complement, not the opposite of work, is rest. What is the opposite of work then? You'll love this one. It's more work. (laughs) The opposite of work being a blessing is when work becomes toilsome. That's the opposite of what God's designed work to look like. I hope you caught it this morning when Wendy read for us the extended passage out of Genesis chapter 3. The man and the woman, they sin. They find themselves filled with shame and breaking God's command. They look at themselves now as naked and say, what do they do? They go off and they hide. And God finding them brings upon them and all of creation a curse. And the curse upon the woman is this, her her, her work, which is unique to a woman. Right? The, the, the rearing of children, the giving birth of children. Men can't do that. Women alone get to do that. And though men are part of the maturing process within the family, there's something that's so special for a woman and a mother. And God says, now that work that was originally created to be good is, is cursed. It's going to be hard. And it's going to be filled with pain. And for the man who... God's designed to carry and shoulder that task of providing and protecting. All the while, fine, women as well work. I don't want to take anything away from women here, but God's design is that the man is the one out in the fields doing this hard labor. And where before it was a joy to work. In fact, it was a blessing to bless others. Now, do you know what's produced? Thorns and thistles. I had a Bible teacher once tell me that it would be like you'd plant a seed and instead of the plant you planted growing, thorns would grow right from it. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's probably part of the idea. I think there's something more going on here, though. I don't think it's just the fact that the thorns and the thistles are now part of this curse upon creation that randomly are popping up all over the ground. I think we're to blame, men. And women, I think, I think we are part of the problem as well. In fact, as I look through the scriptures in the book of Proverbs, uh, these passages, uh, the way of the sluggard is blocked with, there it is, there's our thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. 
All right, so if I'm, if I'm walking down the road that belongs to the sluggard, why am I finding thorns there? Because he's a what? He's a sluggard. And what does a sluggard do with thorns? Doesn't prune them. What's he busy doing? Playing video games is what he's doing. Yeah, he's, he's not fixing and mowing the lawn. He, he, his thing's been broken for weeks and he hasn't fixed it. Look at the next one, Proverbs 24. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. What's his field look like? Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Now, I don't want to, I want, I don't want to just blame the creation under the curse like, Come on, ground, you should have done better. Do you know who should have done better? The men should have done better. The women should have done better. The human creature, in its own curse, has now experienced work no longer as a blessing. But now it's a toil. Ah, I gotta go to work. (sighs) Stupid alarm. (laughs) Just me? No one else? Right? Come on now. Right? Do you, do you feel that? Do you feel that in you? Like it's this, it should be like this. There's something that's corrupted in us that has us producing an avenue towards God's design of work that doesn't feel like a blessing. It feels like toil. And I think it shows up on both ends. I think it shows up with the laziness of those who have been corrupted by sin and of that self-appointed achievement Because the more that you work and are enslaved by work, do you know what your work will feel like? Not a blessing. It's going to feel like toil. This uh, this is another verse here. The sluggards who don't plow in season. uh, So at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. Well, well, you know what he's at harvest. Everybody likes harvest. Harvest is the great. That's when the food comes in. So he's out in the field then. Well, let me see what's out there. When wasn't he in the field? Plowing. Plowing is not harvesting. What, what do you get out of plowing? Should I ask a potato farmer? Right? What, 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 do you, what do you get? You get sweat. That's all you get. You're, you, you're not getting anything out of the ground with plowing. But do you know what that is? That's the work that's needed to go in ahead of time. So then the planting can come. Then the growing can happen. And then the harvesting can happen. Sluggard. I looked it up. It means indolent, lazy, adverse to activity and effort and movement. Uh, the, the, ver- the verb means to hesitate or to vacillate. It's, it's a man who lacks sound judgment. Do you guys remember the movie Back to the Future with Marty McFly? Do you remember the, the principal, uh, Dean Strickland? Remember that guy? What, what word did he have for the sluggard? He's a what? Same problem here. I, I want you to see that as we look at the, the orientation of God's structure for work, this is what the scripture gives us. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to take this framework, which is built over a larger from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, teaching of God's purpose and design for the human creature to steward something that's precious. You remember from our previous uh, look at work, what, one of the main themes that we had was reconsecration. Do you remember that? I'm kind of stretching back here. It's a little bit of review. We're going to go over it again next time we reach it, but I don't want you to miss this. To re-consecrate um, is, is made up of uh, two, two main words. Con, that means with, and the root means sacred. 
And so your work and my work, it needs to be brought back, united together with that which is sacred. And we looked at this meaning uh, that there is no biblical difference between secular and sacred work. Like there's no version of like, I come to church and then I go do my own thing. That's not how it works. All of your life should be knit together under God's design so that your work always looks like it's sacred. It always looks like it's defined and moved towards the glory of God. That's what reconsecration means. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that when we learn to do that and reorient our understanding of work, it will be a blessing. It'll be a blessing to us. It'll be a blessing to others. And when you do that according to God's timing and design, You'll learn to rest and enjoy what work produces. But if you and I are not doing that, you're going to live under the curse. And your laziness or your ambition is going to produce thorns in your life. Thistles, no joy, and therefore no rest. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, has a really beautiful Passage. This is in Colossians 3. If you have your Bibles, will you turn there with me? Colossians chapter 3. We're just going to look at one, one short verse and then work our way through a couple of observations on it. Before Paul deals with the um, instructions to the household, to husbands and wives and children and parents, before he talks about that, he gives a concluding statement over the purpose of the Christian. In verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's it. That last little kind of summary sentence that pulls everything he's taught together into one just before he moves on to more instructions. Uh, For our time this morning, I want to give you a couple of observations here. The first is this. Your work is more than your work. Your work is far greater than your work. In verse 17, do you see what it says? And, And whatever you do. This doesn't, this doesn't mean just what do you do for a living. This doesn't mean just what you get paid to do. Paul here is saying, whatever your work is, whatever you do in your life, which means then for us that work for the human creature is more than the things that we get paid to do. Your work is far greater than just your work. In fact, I'd like you to learn it this way. This will be kind of a, a template we come back to for all three of these primary themes of time and work and money. Ready for it? All work is God's work. You like that? Everybody with me on that? All all work, everything that you are able to do ought to belong under the governance of God. And so what's that mean for us? Well, this first one means that your work is more than just your work. Secondly, your work will be an expression of your life. Your work... divide between the sacred part of your life and the secular part of your career. No, no, no. Whatever you're doing is going to give evidence into who you are as a person. This passage from Matthew 21, Jesus says, so what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, 
Go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind, and then he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted, right? This is not a tough question. They answered, well, the first one. Do you see how life and work go together? And how what you do, what you do is speaking to what's underneath? Uh, the, the first guy, his, his word and his deed didn't line up, but then it changed. And in that changing showed what was underneath. For the other guy, word and deed didn't show up either, but he talked a big talk at the beginning, right? So we need to pay attention to this. What this means is that your work, what you do, will be an expression of who you are. I have a lot more verses I'd like to share with you on that that just speak about how out of your mouth comes the overflow of your heart. And if you look with me back in the text, whatever you do, whether in word or deed. Did you notice that? Both of these go together. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed. Christian, this is what we want to make sure we're doing. We want to make sure that those line up with each other. Because your work and what you do will be an expression of your life. So if that's true, then we have, I think, this category now of life work. And I want to offer to you this conclusion from here, that all of your life work must come under the banner of service to Jesus. So if you look with me back in the text again, Paul says, whatever you do, so more than your work, whether in word or deed, so defining your life, do it all. Here we go. Here's how to do it. You ready? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, this means that whatever we're doing must be characterized by the reputation of Jesus. It means there is no room for laziness, idleness, murmuring, complaining, and grumbling. Remember the wristbands, WWJD? That's old now. Remember that? WWJD means what? What would Jesus do? So larger than just your work, your entire life to define, I am a representative of Jesus. By what I do. And how I live. Hopefully that looks like being a blessing to others. There was one time when I was in seminary. uh, There was a conference. And at this conference, uh, as you came in the door, you would fill out. uh, Like if you've been to anything like this before. You fill out a name tag. Anybody? I hate doing that. Like because I got to like, I mess up my name. And then uh, it's not big enough. And anyway, wearing my name tag, right? Got it on me right here. And at the break... Um, across the road from the school, there was a, a burger joint called Jack in the Box. And I drove over there, but for whatever reason, the drive-thru was just not moving at all. Like, I, I waited forever, like three minutes at least. <laughs> and so I knew that the conference was going to get started again. I needed to, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm not the most patient, loving person when I'm hungry. Uh, so I pulled my truck over, and I went inside. And as soon as I went inside, the server left. Like, just went out the door. And I looked, and right out the door, they were meeting somebody. Like, a, a car pulled up right then, dropped something off. Uh, so the person behind the counter grabbed it, ran back in. Um, and I, in a moment of shame, uh, decided this is a good moment to show my displeasure for this situation. <laughs> and so I think my comment was something to the effect of, like, think we could hurry it up a little. Just a little edge, right? Just a little sharp on there. So they felt it. They knew that I was displeased because now I've been waiting six minutes. 
And I remember the server just looked, just looked broken. And I remember feeling a little shame in that moment. But what I forgot was I was still wearing my name tag. And, and when he came back, he said, I'm sorry, Ryan. And with, uh, gave me my food right after that. But it was, it was like, you know, if I, if I knew my name tag wasn't on, maybe I could have acted that way and got away with it. But who was I obviously representing? What about you? You have been given a mark, an identifier, the Holy Spirit living within you. You don't get the opportunity any longer to go out in this world and just live any which way you want. Your life and your work cannot be characterized after your desires and will. You've been given the Holy Spirit. They must look like the desire and the will of God Almighty. And therefore, our life work must accurately, truthfully, honestly give recognition not to your reputation, but to his reputation. Amen? And it's a scary thing to remember, but this is what I want you to know, that, that your life work must come under the banner of service to Jesus. That's who you represent. We just don't have time this morning to look into the passage, but if we did, and I'll just summarize it, Matthew 25 tells the story of the parable of the talents. Raise your hand if you know that story. Okay, there's most of us in here. That's good. If you, just a quick overview of it. Jesus tells a story of one man that's given five talents, one that's given two, and one that's given one. At the, at the return, the one with five has doubled to ten, and the master says, well done! Good job! Come on, get your inheritance. The one with two doubled his to make it four. Jesus says the exact same thing. Well done! Come on in! Take your inheritance. But to the one who only had the one, it says this. When he came to present what had, the, had resulted from the time of the master's entrustment with his talent, he said, I knew who you were. That you, master, were a hard man. That you harvest where you have not sown. That you take from that which you have not planted. And so I took what you gave me. I buried it in the ground. Here, take what is yours. Now, here, here, here's my question in looking at that. That third servant was given entrusted work from the master. But failed to characterize it after the master's reputation, right? He looked at the master and said, I disdain you. I don't like the person that you are. Here's why this bothers me, because I feel like if you and I fail at working with what God's entrusted to us, maybe it's because we don't like God. Maybe it's because we failed to understand that he's entrusted us to make more of that which he has given to us. But because we don't want him to receive the glory, we'd rather receive the glory because that's what the world teaches us. We no longer express our work as service. Paul here corrects that. Your life work must be characterized, come under the banner of service to Jesus. That's what you do today. That's what you're going to do tomorrow. That's what you do for the rest of your life. All right, number four. Um, The secret ingredient for stewarding work is gratitude. This one is totally worth the price of admission. Like, I'm going to not have enough time to get through this because it's so good. And I don't want you to miss it. Look with me back into the text. It says, uh, whatever you do, do whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus, 
Giving thanks. Did you see it? Everybody find it in your Bible? Giving thanks. Uh huh. Some of your wheels are turning right now. When's the last time you were thankful for your work? All right. So, some of you get paid good, right? Others of you feel like I'm the only one making me do it and work is hard and I don't like it. You know what secret ingredient for transforming your mind with your work is gratitude? It, it, it's, it's like Satan's kryptonite. Like the devil cannot spin you around no matter what you're facing when you thank God for what, you, what, what you've been given. It's incredible. It's such a treasure. And it's actually harder than it might seem. In fact, if you're still with me in Colossians, just jump down a few verses because we have next verse in 18 is to the wives and the husbands and then the children and then the fathers. And in verse 22, it's now instructions to slaves. I always feel like I need to make a footnote here. Not like 19th century, 18th century slaves, not kidnapped slaves, bond servants, people who have uh, entrusted themselves to a, a wealthy patron working for them as slaves. Uh, very much similar to how we have our employer-employee relationship today. Look at what Paul says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it. Not only when their eye is on you and to and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not men. If you couldn't catch it here, same idea in Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men. Because, here's Thanksgiving, you ready for it? Because what? Because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. You, you can thank God because no matter where you fall in the pecking order of your business or your job or how hard it is, do you know who sees the work of your heart? Do you know who sees? Do you know who's keeping track of, of your efforts? Do you know who's keeping track of your intentions? God Almighty is. And his promise is that he will deliver our reward. So no matter what you do, whether you're sitting on the board of a big company and drive a fancy car or plunging toilets and shoveling snow, doesn't matter what you have to do. God sees what you're doing. And if you want to make sure your mind is not warped in that, the secret ingredient is gratitude. It's not my words. That's the words here. Give thanks to God. Last one and maybe most important. A thankful heart is only possible for your life work when you and I are resting in Jesus. And so look with me one more time at the text because it tells us giving thanks to God the Father through him. Does everyone's Bible say that? Everybody see this here? You're giving thanks to God the Father because who's going to give you the reward? God the... Help me out. Okay, I feel like I'm losing you a little bit. We're wrapping up here. All right. God the Father is going to be giving us the reward. That's why we're thankful for what we have. He sees what we do. But the only way that you are able to find that form of thanksgiving is if you have come to find rest in Jesus. You know, in the garden, we're taught by the curse that our work is not going to work. That's frustrating for me. I'm, I'm praying all through the day for, 
for so many things that are going on. And do you know how quickly I want those prayers to be answered? And then I was reminded again this week, uh, I gave a teaching earlier at another Bible study, and whatever I said wasn't heard right. I didn't communicate it right. And it, it got twisted around. And now Pastor Ryan's saying things that Pastor Ryan never said. <sighs> My work doesn't always work. Do you feel that? Does, does, do you ever have that where it's like, I, I put all this time and energy, we did all this preparation, everything was ready, and, and it didn't work. But do you know whose work did? His work worked. The work of Jesus on the cross accomplished the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection works. And do you know what that leaves for you and I when it comes to our matter of achieving righteousness? It leaves a doorway, an opening, so that you can rest so that you don't have to work. And I don't mean like, like yeah, go to, go to your job Monday. That's not what I mean. I mean the work of having to accomplish the righteous requirements of the law. I had a, a friend of mine in, in a Bible study once say um, that he felt like so many of the members of the Bible study had assurance of salvation. But he believed That on judgment day, he just didn't know. If when he faces God, if I have done enough. Boy, I just hope I've done enough good. So you let me in. How much is enough, folks? Isn't that a scary thought? Because I try and and I get thorns. I try and weeds. My work doesn't always work. Instead, I need to find the one whose work was finished, who accomplished the work. And for us, that's Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, now, do you know what we can do? You don't have to toil. You don't have to strive for righteousness because you're going to screw it up. (laughs) You will. Go out there. Try to be perfect. I'll give you 40 seconds. Ready? Go. Like, it's not going to work. But Jesus' work did. And so it's only through Him, placing your trust in Him, that we can rest. And we can know that God doesn't look on us with wrath, but He smiles with delight over us because of His Son. Uh, This is a really important verse, and again, just for time, we won't get to go all the way as deep as I'd like to. Hebrews 4, the writer says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Um, Just one quick note on this. It would be great for you guys to bring up on a a Wednesday. Some commentators think this is referring to death. Like when you die, then you're resting. That's totally not what it means. Like you've missed all of the context back in chapter 3, talking about how God himself rests. Question, is God dead? Does God rest? Yeah, he's God's... God has rested from the work of creation. What's that mean? We already learned it at the beginning, right? Rest is not the opposite of work. Rest is the enjoyment of work. And in that, God is resting. And so you and I, when you come to Christ, you are given opportunity to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Right now. This is is the treasure that you and I have. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And so this being our final conclusion You and I need to learn 
to rest in Christ. Uh, when I was in the Bahamas, uh, there was uh, a particular uh, lawn that I would mow because nobody would mow it. And it had this slope on it. And the mower was piece of trash. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's like 100% humidity, 100 degrees. I am, I am just sweating and sweating. I put a picture up here of uh, me and one of my students who were helping to mow. Um, but I would always save for when the work was done, this drink called a Vitamalt. I'm a little off subject here. I'm just sharing this with you guys because it's so good. It's like crisp and refreshing. It's so good. And I remember when I would finish the lawn, I would open that drink and I just, that was a great moment because there was no more work left to do. Because it was done. Whatever that is for you, the most refreshing thing that you can think of, that must be your satisfaction of knowing Jesus has accomplished for you a rest. The work is done. Amen? You guys with me on this? All right, so what, what does this mean for you and I moving forward? How can we steward our life work towards rest? Number one, I hope you're used to this now. Here's, here's what you do. When it comes to work, put God first in your life. Put him first. Do you know why? I should have put these out there on the front. Because you are wearing a name tag. And it says, child of God. Right there. It's, it's on your life. And so this is where you and I need to make sure that if we're going to steward the moment of work in our life, what he's entrusted for you and I, if you're going to get that right, according to the lens of scripture, you need to make sure you're doing it according to the reputation and the will and the calling of God, because you bear his image. You you are conforming even more to bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to our work, you and I need to make sure that we are putting God first. And I'm not... I'm not sure what that might mean for you. If there's anything that needs to change in your life. Is is your work for you? Is it accomplishing notoriety and income for you? Is that it? Maybe there are some deep questions that you can ask to say, how can I, instead of putting my own abilities at the front of the train, I put God in the front. Put God first. Number two is this. Gratitude. Remember that thankful heart? So gratitude to God asks this question. How can I be a blessing today? How can I be a blessing? Some of you are like, Pastor, you don't know my boss. You don't know who I work for. Um, really, really important verse, John five seventeen. 17. Um, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. That was really frustrating for a lot of religious people at that day. Jesus said, I'm still working. He's he's doing these amazing things. He's being a blessing to the people who are most in need. I I don't want you to think here that by being a blessing and by modeling it after Jesus, we're only looking to like put money in people's pockets. That's That's not what this means. Give me just one minute that we characterize this properly. When we're asking about being a blessing, what we mean biblically is that you are advancing the kingdom of God wherever you work. And so wherever you work, God put you there to be a blessing so that it looks more like his kingdom. Is this making sense? So when Jesus came on earth and was doing healings, he wasn't just doing healings to like be a buddy to them. Be nice, like pay it forward, Jesus. Good on you. That's not what Jesus was doing. 
Jesus was showing what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. This is what God's rule looks like. And so make that our understanding to characterize being a blessing. So this might mean for you that you, you spend too much time at work so that it's not been a blessing. You need to make some changes in your life. Or maybe you've got a lot of animosity towards people in your work. Any, anybody tick you off at your work? Any Christians in church today? No? No? All liars? All right. No? God's kingdom's working its way through your heart to change you. Because that one person who drives you crazy that you're thinking of right now, I know the person you're talking about right now, that's the person God wants you to be a blessing to. Because that's the purpose of work is to show the kingdom of God's presence in your life and therefore to be a blessing. Ask that question. And then lastly, you need to rest in Jesus's work. Uh, Last illustration I want to give you on this is a football illustration because there's still a little football left. You guys, if you're familiar, uh, um, know that if one team is out of timeouts at the end of a game and there's still time on the clock, that they don't have to run any more plays. Do you know what they need to do to win? If they're up on the scoreboard, other team has no timeouts. Someone who knows, tell me what you do. Take a knee. That's it. The most demoralizing thing for a defense. Can't do a thing. Here's the situation. For the devil, there's no more timeouts. Right? For sin and corruption in your life, for the curse... They don't have any more timeouts. Jesus is on the field. This game is over. And so the only thing left to do, take a knee and continue to watch those seconds tick off. That, that means for you and I, there's no need to try to advance the ball any further as though righteousness was something that depended on you because it's already been done. The game is over. Jesus has won. You and I are in the victory formation right now. And if you don't understand this, if if you haven't found rest in Jesus, your work is going to feel like toil. Your life is going to feel like thorns and weeds. And so to truly take this treasure that God gives us and steward it, to steward work well, requires that you and I learn to rest in the completed work of Jesus. I conclude this morning with just a repetition of the chorus of our song from our choir. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him and no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Amen.